There's been some confusion over your last name and the pronunciation, and I'm just wondering, to correct the record, what is it? Oh, that's ridiculous, these stupid things. Listen, the way to pronounce my last name, winner. The Way You Pronounce Our Podcast, friends, is Election Profit Makers, your guide to winning and losing money on current outcomes and political events or political outcomes and current events. Yes, that's it. Now I've got it now. Don't let me get caught on mic stumbling over my words. I wouldn't want to ruin my brand as one of America's great chatterboxes. My name is David. I'm joined on the line by John, who is my co-host. Hey, buddy. So what we do on this podcast, John, is we shoot the shit and we talk about politics and we win a ton of money or not. Are you ready to do that once again? Always. It's the day, John, Tuesday, January 23rd. The year, amazingly, is 2024, and something big's happening later today, John. Do you care to tell our listeners what that might be? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's happening right now, the New Hampshire primary. Let's talk about all the money I'm going to make betting on Nikki Haley winning the 2024 New Hampshire GOP primary. She might win. You know, they they in New Hampshire, they famously have this one place called Dixville Notch that um, votes first, votes before everyone at midnight. And they voted last night or this morning at midnight and and Haley came out ahead there. Well, let's hope that's true, John, because I have 200 shares of Nikki Haley winning this godforsaken primary. Those shares have plummeted in value from 26 cents to their current price of seven cents on predicted. Donald Trump, meanwhile, the famous criminal trading on predicted at 93 cents in terms of who will win the 2024 GOP New Hampshire primary. Ron DeSantis, it pains me to say, is no longer a factor. Because why, John? Tell us why. On Sunday, he dropped out. Ron DeSantis dropped out. In a video message, he did not come out and, you know, endorse Trump as everybody else had in person. He came out and and he did endorse Trump, but it was in a uh, famously stilted video message, which, you know, actually kind of looked like AI to me, but... It, it was real. The one thing you can say about Ron DeSantis is at least he didn't sacrifice his dignity through this whole campaign. At least he can still hold his head high and be a well-respected, cool dude with a backbone and true human charisma. At least he never compromised or made an ass of himself or belittled himself or demeaned himself or engaged in behaviors that were speculated and picked apart by regular people. And he was found profoundly lacking in all manner of human interaction and self-presentation. At least we can say, John, that Ron DeSantis made himself and his family very proud and definitely gave his donors a huge bang for their buck. (laughs) What did he wind up spending, like $400 million per vote? Yeah. I think it was three hundred million. Three hundred million dollars uh, per vote. Ron DeSantis. <laughs> I don't know if it was per vote. The money pile setting on fire guy is how they'll call him from now on. Do you think that Ron DeSantis is shorter today? Mm. Do you think he's at his shortest height as an adult? Just because he's so defeated and hunched over and broken? Or you mean just because he took the lifts out of his boots? Yeah, he just got rid of the lifts. You know, that's probably the first thing he did. He was like now that I've quit this campaign, and then he's like, come over here, wife, pull these boots off. She tugs these boots off. He reaches into the boots, takes out the insoles, throws them in the trash, and was like, I'm never doing that again. That sucked. It's like when you come home from a long day of work and you loosen the laces on your Oxford loafers, and then you can relax, right? Yeah. Well, good for him. Good for him. It's time for him to take a load off. It was a good fight. Hmm. Both Florida senators endorsed Trump this week. So 
That wasn't very embarrassing. I think the rumor now, although remember our old friend Bill Mitchell, your voice radio, one of the huge mag, one of the huge MAGA Twitter personalities of the 2016 election cycle. Right, who we gave a rough time, and then and then and then after Trump won, then he started following me on Twitter the next day. God, what a yeah. knife to the gut. Yeah. Well played. Well, Bill Mitchell tweeted something the other day. He said that he had heard a rumor from a high-level Trump campaign donor that they are going to choose Ron DeSantis for Veep. I'm going to say that is absolute horseshit. It has a 0% chance of coming true. And that and that Donald Trump is going to take a page out of Kid Midas's playbook and go with the bright, sunny-eyed optimism of one Tim Scott. And that Donald Trump is going to choose my long shot, Tim Scott, currently trading at one penny per share as his uh, vice presidential candidate. If he doesn't choose Tim Scott, he will choose Elaine Stefanik of New York State, who has been eagerly demeaning herself in the service of MAGA Nation over the last 12 months, if not longer. Well, the big news regarding Tim Scott this week was he announced he's getting that laid. He's getting engaged. Yeah, yeah. His his um, special friend. He is going to lose his virginity. He's going to have a wife, to whom presumably he will lose his virginity. So, I sexual, his sexual virginity. I mean to say. Wait a minute. It's, it's, I thought he came out and said that he was. I don't want to talk about this. I want to talk about this. You, you, I don't want to talk about this. Let's just talk about they're just engaged. Why do we they're never get married. to talk about the things that I want to talk about? The stuff and substance of real human, you know, like we're made. OK, let's talk the about mud is this clay a real of the human engagement? experience. And yes, sometimes that verges on the erotic, but that's no reason to shy away from it. All right. Politicians, after all, John, are human. I know. With craven sexual desires and appetites that can only be sated by another body. Well, let's keep this to Patreon. Okay, this will know? be our pa- Election Profit Makers After Dark. This is going to be our new series of Patreon-only erotic episodes where we really right. explore the thirsts and hungers of the of the professional poli- political class. So his fiance, she's very attractive. So good, good for him. <clears throat> That's 20 I, times I grosser think- than anything I said. I think that the timing is a little suspect. Oh, here. you think? Yeah. So it makes me think that he's already been chosen as vice president or he really thinks he has a chance and he wants to tie up some loose ends with, you know, maybe the evangelical community that might be a little suspicious of somebody who's not married. It certainly would be untraditional on either side to have somebody on a ticket that wasn't married. So let's put this let's put this square on our bingo card. If Donald Trump chooses Tim Scott as his running mate, and if there is ever a rally or public appearance where Donald Trump is there and Tim Scott is there and Tim Scott's fiance is there, how how hard will Tim Scott grimace as Donald Trump makes some gross comment about his fiance's beautiful blonde appearance? Oh God. Yeah. That's gonna be that is going to be a moment of that's going to be a Hall of Fame cringe moment. So let's keep an eye on that if Tim Scott is chosen as Donald Trump's running mate. That's a good one. I like that one. Okay, so New Hampshire's happening as we speak. Donald Trump, you know, I think it was last week or the week before someone came out with a poll that had Haley and Trump tied. That probably is why I bought all these fucking Nikki Haley shares. Now every other poll says Trump is up by like 10,000 points. 
Ron DeSantis suspends his campaign. I don't think that's going to I don't think all those DeSantis people are going to vote for Haley. They're going to vote for Trump, right? No, they're good. They, yeah, I think they're going to Trump at this point. I still think there's a shot that she could win. God, if she wins, can I just once for once in my life, can I get a big fat W? That would mean so much to me if she wins, but she's not going to win. She's going to lose. No. Everyone's going to lose. Trump's going to be the nominee. I can't believe it. I'm going to lose hun- miss so many hundreds of dollars. I haven't worked in over a year. I was on strike all last year. Why do I have all this fucking money and predict it? I've never needed money more than I need it right now. And I'm throwing it all away on Donald Trump and Nikki Haley. And listeners, I'm doing it for you. Please just tell me, if nothing else, you appreciate the sacrifices that I'm making for your entertainment and edification. Because what I'm doing right now is almost literally insane. Putting money into Donald Trump losing the GOP nomination, putting money into Nikki Haley winning it. I mean, what in the ever living two fat fucks am I doing with my limited resources? Are you at least hedging in any way? Like, are- oh, John, I wouldn't know how to hedge if you hit me upside the head with a hedge trimmer. Okay. Well, I think you you could hedge by saying that you think Biden is going to win the presidency. Oh, I have money in that too. And that's underwater too. Believe me. Okay. Well, that's fine. Even my hedges, my hedges aren't hedging. And you know what they say, John, if there's a bustle in your hedgerow, don't be alarmed now. That's just kid Midas losing more money. That's from Stairway to Stairway to Poverty by Led Zeppelin. I think the kid Midas yeah. story. <laughs> okay, so I think this week. <laughs> now I may have said this before. This is the bottom for for Biden because the polling has come out. Various polling in in states um, in New York, Biden's up nine. In Pennsylvania, Biden's, Biden's up, up nine. Eight. In New York, we're so fucked. in New Hampshire, he's up seven. In Virginia, he's up five. In Texas, Trump is ahead by eight. In Georgia, Trump is ahead by eight. Yeah. But, it's, it's... So, but I mean, Pennsylvania, that's that's a big deal. New Hampshire, that's a big deal. Virginia, that's a big deal. So, Fonnie Willis fucking around with her secret boyfriend's going to fuck all that shit up, and then that's going to make it look like Biden. I don't know. I don't know, Johnny. It's just one of those days where I'm where uh, I'm I'm looking at life from the wrong side of the bed, if that's how the phrase goes. I woke up on the wrong side of the coffin. That's something that Dracula could say when he's grunt when he's having a bad day. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so New Hampshire, you're gonna you're honestly telling me Nikki Haley has a chance, and then I might actually make my money tonight. If that's true, I'll be. She has more of a chance. She's at seven cents right now, which you know translates to the the traders saying that she has a seven percent chance of winning. She has more than a seven percent chance of winning. I'd buy Haley at this Fuck price. It, I'll buy it then. Why not? What's another? What? Yeah, I'm, I'm putting in a hundred shares. I'm putting in a hundred shares at at eight cents. Boom. Submit offer. And then you know set. To, to sell it at uh, nine cents. 20. No, not at nine. You could double your money. You could double your money if she, if she surges as her results are coming in. All right. Well, I just bought it. We'll see what happens. So Ron DeSantis is out. Everyone's sad about that. Nikki Haley will be out after tonight when she loses. She'll probably drop out of the race tonight, don't you think? Because you said she'd drop out before South Carolina. No, I don't think necessarily tonight. Um... But soon, and then it's and then the the nomination is Trump's to do with what he wishes. Yeah, which it which it always has been. I guess so. I just can't believe it. I just can't believe it. I know I sound like some yokel who just fell off the back of the turnip truck, but I just can't believe it. 
but I guess I better find my way to believing it because it's absolutely happening. It's going to be a Trump-Biden rematch. Or is it? Huh? Or is Dean Phillips going to take Biden out? Are you on Andrew Yang's mailing list? <laughs> no. Okay. I get all these emails from Andrew Yang. He is on the Dean Phillips train talking about Dean Phillips, about how the stakes could not be higher. We cannot risk Donald Trump being the president again. And so we all have to rally around Dean Phillips because Joe Biden can't get it done. And I have to say, I looked at the email and said, who the hell is Dean Phillips? Who is he? He's running on the Democratic ticket. Yeah, that's right. He's a, a congressman who's, who's, who's running against Biden. Well, he's got Andrew Yang's full endorsement. Yeah, he has said that he is if he does not win, that he will not run as a third party candidate. But it, it kind of seemed like he walked that back a little bit in the last couple of days. So I don't trust this guy. Is he running on the no labels ticket if he doesn't get the Democratic nomination? Is that what's going to happen? No labels? What is no label? What is everybody doing? No labels is, you know, it's a it's basically a shadow campaign to help the Republicans. You got a bunch of... Um, no labels donors actually that are suing no labels now. Why? Because they realize that it's not truly a nonpartisan organization. Oh, it's not? And they want their money back. It's not truly a nonpartisan organization no, that seeks common cause between the left and the right for we can have solutions that everybody agrees on. And we'll take all the conflict so, out of politics and we'll all just be sensible with no labels and get everything done that everybody secretly wants. So, you know, Walt Hickey from Numlock News, numlock.com. Yeah, what was that? Advertiser. Yeah, of right. So, so he, he put out today that a, a link to a study by Microsoft called Why Do Nigerian Scammers Say They Are From Nigeria, which essentially contends that a great way to find the people stupid enough to fall for an email scam are to find the ones who have never heard of a Nigerian prince scam. That's interesting. Is that is that related to no labels? Yes. So that if you are a donor to no labels, you know, you clearly wouldn't be smart enough to know that no labels is a, a bit of a sham. It's not as it seems. It's not as it presents itself. Right. I don't think I'm going to get on the Dean Phillips train. Yeah, I don't think anybody's getting on that train. Is Andrew Yang dumb or is he disingenuous? I just can't get a read on him. I think he's dumb. It's just truly, he's a true believer. He's just a true dumb believer. Yeah. I mean, just, I mean, when you say dumb, he's obviously not dumb. He knows how to use a spreadsheet and he, you know, made money. He's probably smart in some areas. But someone like Dr. Jill Stein is disingenuous. She's disingenuous, I think. Like she wants the Democrats to lose the presidency, probably because she's an right, accelerationist. Right. But she can't admit that. So she says some disingenuous stuff. Andrew Yang, you're saying, is is just dumb. Andrew Yang has said some, okay, but man, maybe this is it. Maybe it's the same strategy. Andrew Yang has said some things, and I can't think of any examples right now, but in the past that are so ridiculously, obviously wrong and stupid, but maybe that's by design. Right. That could be him weeding out the smarty pants. He's like the email with the misspellings and the weird grammar and the fucked up URL. Right. He's weeding out the P. He doesn't care if we roll our eyes at him and dismiss him as a dummy. It's not it's not our checkbooks that he's after. Yeah. In which case, he's a genius. 
He might be the genius we've been waiting for. He just might be the genius we've been waiting for. So tell me this, John, because this is all I want to know. Do I have to spend another moment of my life thinking about Dean Phillips, or is it just going to disappear and have and will have had no consequence on this election? Or do I need to learn who the fuck this guy is? And no, 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 no. Okay. You don't need to. No. Nobody's covering it. All right. Because he's not a viable candidate. No. And because the mainstream media mm. is all in for Joe yeah, Biden. Yeah, that's what I've been So they would for. not cover him. All right. John, what, what, why in our outline does it say, what did Christians do for the world? Okay. So I was talking to my mom a couple of days ago and she's, you know, sometimes she gives feedback on the, on the podcast and she, I think she said there were some things she liked last week, but that's, you know, that's how people do it. They say a few things that are nice and then they bring the hammer oh, down fuck. and she then said, but John, when you said that you couldn't name anything that Christians had done for this world, my heart just sank. Your mom is a church-going, believing, utterly sincere Christian. Right. And I couldn't remember the context. And I was like, I said that? I don't think you said that. I think you said, John, name 10 good things that Christians have done for this world. And I think it was in the context of just talking about societal things like, you know, like the calendar. We were talking about the calendar. That's right. We were talking about the... Um... So I mentioned that and my mom said, well, what about, you know, all this charity and things like that? And I'm like, of course, that's true. So I would like to address that this week and say that Christians have done some amazing This is things. our new segment called the Christian Defense Council. That's right. Starring Bishop John D. Kimball. And a lot of, a lot of religions have done wonderful things for charity. And that's... It just sort of seemed... I didn't feel like that I was. She, is this she all for your mom? Like Should I, I cut this part out of the regular course, episode yes. and just no, no, send no, no, it in a no, voice no, no, memo no. to your mom? Okay. All right. She didn't think I advocated for the for the Christians, but I don't think that was my job. It's not your job to advocate for the Christians. But I wasn't putting the Christians down either. No, as always, you chose a sensible middle path, like the centrist you are. You played along with my with my joking about Christians and what things Christians have done, and you didn't take a stand one way or the other. And that's that's within your right. And I think your mom probably felt bad about it because you and I were both raised in the church, and it was a huge influence on us, for better or for worse. Your mom probably felt a little melancholy that you didn't rush to defend the faith of your childhood. Yeah. So I'm sorry, mom. I didn't mean to disappoint you. Miss Kimball, I'm going to take a more complicated position vis-a-vis Christianity. I respect your faith because I know you're a sincere and kind-hearted and very generous and loving person. And I'm sure that like with my mom, your Christian faith has influenced your behavior and your personality somewhat. Although I would say that your wonderful qualities are so innate that they would probably exist independent of any religious faith you had. However, I make this pledge to you for in, in, in deference to your to your loving presence in my life, I will not make any more jokes about Christianity for the next two minutes. This is now a judgment-free zone for all Christians. We will now honor these two minutes of silence. Are we really going to do that? Two minutes?
And we're back. And we're back. Speaking of Christians. Oh, <laughs> this is still going. This is going to get us in so much trouble. I can't become a, this can't be a Christian podcast. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, we get, look, it's fine. All right. What do you want to say? Coach Hubert Davis, the head coach of the University of North Carolina Tar Heels basketball Is team. he very He's a Christian? staunch, <laughs> devoted guy is Christian, so Christian, as everyone knows. <laughs> he is so Christian. So Carolina played a surging Wake Forest team last Oh, I wanted night. to ask you, are you talking about basketball? Dean's, I was going to ask you, yeah, what happened talking. to UNC men's basketball? As the season started, how come I haven't heard anything about it? Because I can't talk about it. It's just too, you know, it's too important. So it's hard to talk about with with I can talk about UNC football with a bit of distance. Analytical distance. And, yeah, because I know how it's going to end. Uh, basketball, I I know that there's always a chance that we could win it all. So well, is the team good this year? Like what's going on? Who's who's back from Well, you know, last year at the beginning of the season, the team came back after going to the national championship and barely losing to Kansas. And they were ranked really high before. and then they fucking fucked it all up. Yeah, they were preseason number one, and they didn't even go to the NCAA tournament last year. Well, this year they came back, and they were first week uh, preseason, they were ranked number 19. Well, now they're ranked number three in the country. What? They've won eight games in a row, all of them by 10 points or more. It's the first time they've done that since 2009, which was the year they won a national championship. And they're playing really well, and they're definitely a contender. Would not be surprised if they go to the final. And this four. is because Hubert Davis probably spent the offseason praying his ass off. Yeah, of about course. this team. It's the ultimate hack. It's being a Christian. The cheat code. I'm not saying he's a hack. I'm just saying that you, if you have Jesus on your side, yeah, then you're loving it. We do. Um, but one thing about being a Christian is that you, at least for Hubert, is that you don't want to swear. Right. Profanity is frowned upon, as it was in my childhood home. That's right. And same in in my household. Um, after the game was over, Harrison Ingram, a player on the team, said that <laughs> Hubert Davis did a lot of yelling during halftime. The team was down at the half. And he had one particular repetitive word that he used. Fuck. Which was... Fuck you guys. You guys are fucking up. You're making me fucking ashamed to be a Christian and your coach. You fuckwits need to fucking start playing some fucking basketball. So help me God. I mean, it's actually shocking, the word that he used, because I didn't even think he he would use a word like this. The word was fart. Another word that we wouldn't say in my family. That's 20 times worse than the other F word. Fart? What would he say? Like, you guys are playing like a bunch of smelly old farts? The reporter asked, he said, can you use it in a sentence the way Coach Davis said it? And Harrison Ingram said, what the fart are you doing? I'm sorry, Coach Davis, but I would say as that's so much worse than just cutting to the chase and using the real <laughs> F-bomb. Like, Roy Williams used to say frick. That was his. Now, that's good because that, that has some type of southern cornpone charm. Right. Frick does, right? But fart? Look, ugh. I... Maybe Hubert Davis is growing in a sense. Maybe that's his secret weapon. He was afraid to use this F word last season, and now he's using it, and it's really lighting a fire under the team. Did I ever tell you the story about <laughs> this? Is a this is another example of in trying to not be gross, saying something that is twenty times more disgusting than just coming out and being gross. You know, my dad was very was very proper 
very proper Christian, conservative temperament up to a point, unless he was watching the news, in which case he would scream and yell profanity at all the Republicans on television. But he was not much for slang, and, and slang was frowned upon. When we would go for road trips in the Volvo back in the back on the days of two week long East Coast road trips up and down the East Coast, staying with friends, talking about architecture, going to every damn museum on the in the world. If my brother, <laughs> if 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 my if somebody was <laughs> if we were all in the Volvo together and somebody farted past gas. Right. My dad would, in utter sincerity, say, does someone need to make a bowel movement? <laughs> As if, like, I'll pull over to a rest area so you can make a bowel movement. Right. This would make our stomachs turn, my brother and me. Like, why not just why not just be a dad who rolls down the window and is like, wow, that was some fart. I'm proud of you, boy, or whatever. You know, like, sometimes trying to be proper and restrained and have some dignity you inadvertently become 50 times more disgusting. And I kind of feel like that's the case with Hubert Davis and fart. Oh, yeah. Does someone need to make a bowel movement? <laughs> Even saying BM, <laughs> just say BM. Yeah. Even no. that's too slangy. <laughs> you got to say it all. Bowel movement. Oh, boy. Okay. At this point in the podcast, I would like to give a shout out. What is happening? <laughs> To, I want to give a shout out to Eva over at UNC Dermatology and, and welcome her to the EPM family. So I go and get light treatment for vitiligo two or three times a week. Okay. Vitiligo is this skin disorder that I have where it causes you to lose the melanin in your skin and have lose your pigment. Okay. So I have a couple of white spots on my elbows and knees and on my face and stuff like that. So I go to UNC to get this UV light a few times a week. And it's basically you go and you stand in a stand up tanning booth. Are you serious? Are you wearing any clothes? You wear, you're wearing your boxers. Whoa. So nobody, nobody can see you in there. So anyhow, so I get, get to hang out for four or five minutes with various people and you know, as wait, you hang out with time, them in the you, booth. Are get, multiple people getting zapped at the same? No, no, they're outside. Oh, the booth, okay, I see. You know, running the controls. And Eva and I were talking, and somehow, after many months, the podcast came up, which I was immediately regretted because she was like, "Oh, a podcast. What's the name of it?" She wanted to check it out. Uh, Mission abort. And Never returned to that tanning booth. Exactly. I was quite worried. Well, I went back a couple days ago. She had listened to Wait, the podcast. Wait, you told her about Election Profit Makers, our podcast? Yes, yes. So she went and listened to it, and she loved it. Well, there we go. She, she said, she, and she's got lots of opinions uh, about politics. We talk, talk about them. She, she said, oh, I would love to have a friend like David. He's got such great energy. She said- I really love the podcast, but but you know I love the Lord, so I pray for David because of his mouth. Can we have one day where someone's not praying for me? Let's try that. We've tried people praying for me. Let's see. We've seen how that's turned out. Why don't we? Why don't we? Why don't we have a day where nobody prays for me? I'll probably win the lottery. I don't think it's wrong that she's praying for you. She's not turning the podcast off, but she's just you know. And I warned her. Why is she praying for me? I have everything. I'm in, I'm doing great. She just because of your mouth. Because I use profanity. Yeah. 
Eva, let me speak to this person, Eva. How old is this person? Do you have any, is, is she younger than us? She's probably younger than us. She's probably younger than us, yeah. yeah. Eva, God doesn't make mistakes, okay? God has given us the gift of language and the gift of self-expression. He has given us the heights of poetry and the lows of street talk, gutter talk. And in combining the highs and lows, we can achieve the full frequency spectrum of, of a symphony. The melody that we use in expressing ourselves has its peaks and valleys. Sometimes we need to speak in an elevated way to express something ineffable, something approaching the sublime. Other times in our frustration or our passion or our enthusiasm, we fall off our horse and roll around in the dirt and we reflect that in the language we choose. What we are doing with these vocabularies, both high and low, is giving expression to the state of our mind, the condition of our heart, and the full spectrum of our lived experience as children of God. So I hope, Eva, while I welcome your prayers, I'll take all the support I can get from everybody. I hope everybody out there is praying for me right now. I need some fucking prayer warriors right now, especially with these Nikki Haley shares I have. About to take such a bath on them. I welcome your prayers, Eva, but I trust that you will realize that when it comes to the fate of one's immortal soul and uh, the enthusiasm with which um, the shepherd embraces even the most wayward member of his flock, I hope you'll realize that all in all, the language one chooses is probably not that important. It is more the sentiment that this language, however imperfectly, however roughshod, it's the sentiment that this language is, is used uh, in order to express that sentiment, if that makes sense. So thank you, Eva. I hereby absolve you of all of your mortal sins, and I look forward to the day you are welcomed into the kingdom of heaven by our Lord. Amen. I'm sorry, I tuned out a little bit there because I was reading about New Hampshire. Special advertiser this week, special show to promote, John. This is courtesy of EPM celebrity guest investor John Hodgman appearing live in San Francisco this weekend, Saturday, January 27th, at something called the Palace of Fine Arts Theater. This is part of San Francisco Sketch Fest. Have you ever heard of San Francisco Sketch Fest, John? Yes. You have? Yes. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. It goes for weeks and weeks, and all the hottest entertainers and performers show up, including our friend... Judge John Hodgman. This is a live taping of his famous podcast called... I think he was there last year. I think he goes every year. Yeah, yeah. I know somebody who went last year. He, did they like the show? I uh, thought it. Yeah, of course. They loved okay. it. <laughs> I got really worried for a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Judge John Hodgman it. and Bailiff Jesse Thorne are bringing their mix of comedy, pop culture obsession, and sheer unadulterated fake legal wisdom to the stage. And this is happening live this Saturday, January 7th at 4 p.m. That's a good reasonable hour for comedy at the Palace of Fine Arts Theater. John, I know you're going to love this. Hodgman has sent us a bit.ly link. Yeah. He's actually really into bit.ly links. You, it's interesting that I yeah. have two friends named John and they're both really into bit.ly links because John, John Hodgman has been making bit.ly links I think about as long as you've been making bitly links. Yeah, he has. I don't I don't think I have been any influence on him. I think he's been on the bitly train as long. So we should give him his bitly flowers. Yeah. So the bitly link, it is bit 
bit.ly slash, and this is all capital letters after this, J-J-H-O-S-F-24. That's bit.ly slash J-J-H-O-S-F-24, all caps. That will take you to the page where you can learn about what's going to happen at this show. I think you might still have time to submit a dispute. Have you ever, you know about Judge John Hodgman? Of course. The way it works? Oh, because we were on it once. Yeah, we were. We had a dispute. Oh, fuck. I totally forgot about that. You're right. Yeah. And I lost. And I brought this dispute and Judge John Hodgman, who is addition to be, in addition to being very, very funny and erudite, dear friend of ours, is has a good innate sense of justice and right and wrong. And sure enough, unequivocally and immediately ruled in my favor. And that's when I became a fan of the of the wisdom of Judge John Hodgman. So if you want to see that kind of judgment, that kind of uh, what's the word, jurisprudence, wisdom, all that stuff, mm-hmm. you need to get yourself to the Palace of Fine Arts Theater at 4 p.m. this Saturday, January 27th. There's no time to spare. Go to bit.ly slash JJHOSF24. That's right. It's perfect. It's on a Saturday because Sunday, the San Francisco 49ers take on the Detroit Lions. Is that true? The winner to go to the Super Bowl. So Saturday is perfectly scheduled. Perfect. Perfect. Folks, you're in for a real treat. We're gonna we're gonna share now some listener feedback, some listener questions, some listener um, emails that we've received at contact at electionprofitmakers.com. I want to begin with a heartfelt thanks to everyone who wrote in about Snuffleupagus. The ontology of Snuffleupagus was Snuffleupagus a real creature? Or a creature of the imagination? Well, folks, the answer may surprise well, you. Oh, sorry. That's okay. What do you want to say? I wanted to say, I wanted to say, well, what was he? Oh, I'm going to, I'll tell you now. Yeah. It's, so it's quite interesting. Snuffleupagus was a real, um, I don't know, was a monster, a creature? He was a friend, a friend. We'll call him a friend. Snuffleupagus was Big Bird's actual friend who existed in the world independent of Big Big Bird's perception of him, okay? However, the adults on Sesame Street were convinced that Snuffleupagus was Snuffle... This... Snuffle... Snuffleupagus. No. Snuffle. No. Snuffleupagus. Whoever came up with that was having a good night. Snuffle... Snuffleupagus. 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 I think the P is silent. No, that can't be. Snuffleupagus. Snuffleupagus. Snuffleupagus existed independent of Big Bird's um, imagining of him, right? He was his own creature, but the adults on Sesame Street didn't believe that because Snuffleupagus, coincidentally, was never around when the adults were around. So when Big Bird would say, oh, I was just talking to my friend Snuffleupagus, we were talking about going surfing this weekend or whatever. The adults would be like, yeah, sure, Big Bird, your imaginary friend. And Big Bird would get really frustrated and say, no, my real friend, Snuffleupagus, who is a real living, breathing creature. Now, this is the part of the story I didn't know because this by by the mid 80s, I had stopped watching Sesame Street because, frankly, I was too mature and I had moved on to other programming such as 321 Contact. The Some producer at Sesame Street decided that this was setting a bad example for children, for the audience of Sesame Street, because kids might get worried that if they presented adults with an objective truth, the adults might not believe them. 
just as the adult did not believe Big Bird when he insisted he had a friend named Snuffleupagus. So that if a kid was ever being hurt by an adult and then turned to another adult to tell them about this, Sesame Street didn't want the kid to think there was a risk of the adult not believing him or her. Right. There was a barrier between the kids and and the adults. So eventually, in the mid-80s, there's a scene where the adults, I guess, meet Snuffleupagus. Now, I refuse to watch this scene because I don't want this very delicate ontological teeter-totter that's existed in my mind for 40-plus years to fall over on one side or the other of Snuffleupagus existing independently of the adults' perception of Snuffleupagus. But apparently, there is a scene where the adults are confronted with the living fact of Snuffleupagus. And Big Bird, I can only assume, experiences the best feeling on earth, which is total vindication. So that's the Snuffleupagus update, the Snuffleupdatagus. Thanks to everyone who wrote in about Snuffleupagus. Sesame Street, the children's television workshop. That's right. That's a fucking, that name goes hard as fuck. That's so tough. Yeah. The children's television workshop. Because usually when you have children in workshop in the same phrase. It's not good. You're thinking it's like a Charles Dickens thing. Like, yeah, I got these pickpockets working in this workshop here in London in 18 something something. (laughs) Pickpockets. But they were like, yeah, this is the children's television workshop. We're working these kids to the bone making these television shows. What of it? Right. Chimney sweeps. Chimney sweeps. Yeah. The chimney sweeps. The le- oh man, you ever seen a movie called um, Mary Poppins and uh, Dick yeah, and uh, what's yeah. his name plays a chimney sweep? Who is that? Dick Van Dyke. Dick Van Dyke, yeah. yeah. Chim chimney, chim chimney, chim chim chiru. I'll clean the fuck out of your chimneys for you. I don't. Chim chimney, chim chimney, chim chim chiri. Got any more chimneys for me? Teehee. That might yeah. yeah that's all right. Who else was in that? Was it was it Ju- Julie Andrews? Yeah. She made The Sound of Music and Mary Poppins. Uh, yeah. Sound of Music, your favorite movie, if I recall correctly. Is that still true? Yeah, favorite. Yeah, still. Even after seeing Midsommar? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even after seeing Midsommar. God, I can't believe you made me go watch that. Let's let's talk about bumper stickers. It's time for this week's episode of the Bumper Sticker Diaries. Now, these <laughs> these are listeners who have had actual genuine human interactions based on bumper stickers that they that they had on their car or that they saw on other people's cars. Yeah. Gina writes in. She says, back when Ralph Nader was running for president in 2000, I was pretty into it. Kind of like you, David. Mm-hmm. I went to a big rally in an outdoor stadium in D.C. Indoor stadium, John. Jesus Christ. Oh, my goodness. Holy fuck, bro. They have an indoor stadium in D.C.? I don't know. I think maybe it was an indoor arena. Is there a difference between stadium and arena? There is in my book. Only Duke claims that their basketball stadium is an indoor stadium. Is the default for a stadium that it is open air? No, the default is that it's big. Wait, what's bigger, a stadium or an arena? A stadium. So what you're saying is Gina probably meant to write an indoor arena in D.C.? I think so. All right. Well, that's on her conscience. Let's continue. Okay. I went to a big rally at an indoor stadium in D.C., and I had a bumper sticker on my car. You can skip this next part if you want. I was also interested in a program called Nader Trader. For the youth who are listening. This was some okay. 
Oh yeah, this is what I was I talking about that. off mic about how how about <laughs> about how liberals yeah. think that you win the game by being the best at following the rules, like. Yeah. <laughs> this was for Ralph Nader supporters who wanted to support Ralph Nader and bring down the two party duopoly like I did back in the year 2000. Oh, my God. But they didn't want to jeopardize Al Gore's chances of actually winning the presidency because they didn't want Bush to be president. So the Nader traders would find a pen pal who lived in like a safe. You would promise you would promise to vote for Gore mm-hmm. in a in a swing state if you're. Pen pal would promise to vote for Nader in a safe blue state so that Nader would tally one vote nationally, but that vote would not jeopardize the Electoral College. I think that's how it was. It's not a terrible idea. It's not a terrible idea, I suppose, but it is this thing of like, what are you just get over yourself? Why make everything so fucking complicated? Just vote for Al Gore. (laughs) Why not just vote for Nader? Because then, because thing now with the distance of age, I can see that I as as much as I because I went to a I went to a Nader rally in two thousand in an indoor arena, John, mm-hmm. and that indoor arena was called Madison Square Garden. Wow! And we all went to a huge Nader rally in Manhattan. Eddie Vedder of Pearl Jam sang songs. Patty Smith of the Patty Smith Group sang songs, and I'm sure a bunch of other people did stuff too. Then Ralph Nader came out in his baggy ass gray suit. And, and stood at the podium and, and, and insisted that there was no difference between the Democrats and the Republicans. They're two sides of the same coin. And buddy, I was on my knees lapping it up. And we all left and we were, we were buzzing around. We were on such a high. We were sitting on the steps of the huge post office that's by Madison Square Garden talking about how we're all going to vote for Ralph Nader and we're going to bring the two-party system to its knees and we're finally going to have a real change in this country. <laughs> oh, my God. Do you know how much better things would have been if Al Gore had beat George W. Bush? Uh, things would be yeah. so much better. Okay, but it wasn't necessarily Nader's fault. No, it's not Nader's fault. I mean, you can say, well, if if everyone who voted for Nader in Florida had voted for Gore, then Gore would have won. But Gore, Gore would have won Florida if the butterfly ballot wasn't designed the way it was. Right. There are many. There are many hypotheticals. Gore might have won Florida if they let him actually count the votes. Oh, shit. Here we go. Brooks Brothers riots just showed up. Yeah. Right? So, Roger Stone, one of the masterminds. I'm not I'm not saying that he would have. I'm just saying he may have. We just we don't know. The votes weren't counted. I'm just I'm just remarking on the Nader on the Nader trader phenomenon to it's it's just one of those things like it just it just feels like it feels like the people who did Nader trader who did Nadering tradering Nader tradering they must have just been so proud of how clever they were being you know like they were really getting they were really having their cake and eating it too mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. I don't mean to disparage Gina Gina's an old friend but so did you participate in this I don't think I did because I was voting in New York State where it was obvious that Gore would win. And um, so I didn't feel like I had to trade my vote or promise to vote for Gore if someone else voted. You know, actually, speaking of one of our advertisers, speaking of our only advertiser this week, this was the f- the first time I met John Hodgman for dinner after I just moved to New York. We had a huge argument about me voting for Nader over Gore. He thought I was being such an idiot. Throwing away my vote was probably his words. And I and I 
accused him of being an idiot, thinking that Al Gore was any different from George W. Bush. I remember this. We met at a Korean barbecue place in Koreatown. It was the first time I ever had Korea barbecue. I was like, well, I'm in the big city now. Look at me grilling this meat and having an argument with this guy, this fucking idiot who doesn't know anything about how the system works. (laughs) But I don't think so. I was hardcore Nader. I was ride or die for Nader. Um, and you were ride or die for Perot in 96. Bro, we've talked about this ad infinitum. I Dude, voted for Ross Perot in multiple sound. presidential elections. That is crazy. Perot was goaded in my mind. He was the absolute goat. I wanted to bring this system down. Yeah, you brought it yeah, down. Yeah, I brought it down. <laughs> now I'm like, yay, Democrats do whatever. <laughs> and I turn into Bill Share. I'm such a I'm such a centrist Democrat. I've talked about it before. It's all about harm reduction for me for the rest of my life when it comes to uh, electoral politics. It's just harm reduction. Yeah, it's pretty boring. Pretty, yeah, it's, it, it is. It's mu- it's um, the excitement has gone out of it. The sense of being, you know, let's let's return to our favorite William F. Buckley Jr. I no longer have the sense of standing athwart history, yelling Nader. Now I'm just another cog in the Democratic machine. I'll vote for whatever fucking lame-ass centrist Democrat Chuck Schumer wants to run in some some purple district to be safe. Fucking who was our old friend from uh, North Carolina? The guy who wanted to hug and cuddle and kiss everyone. What was his name? Fucking yeah, Kyle Cunningham. Kyle, what was his name? Kyle Cunningham. Cal Cunningham, right? Cal Cunningham. Cunningham. Yeah. Um. I really got distracted. What was Gina talking? Oh, bumper stickers. Continue. So she continues. One day sometime after the election in which George W. Bush won, I was getting out of my car in a small parking lot in my town when a woman called out to me, did you vote for Ralph Nader? I said, yes. It was safe to do so in Maryland. Gore easily won it. She said, well, that was stupid. And I just said sarcastically, Thank you. Thank you very much. Hmm. 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 My husband, John, has a story about a bumper sticker that was yellow with black lettering that said, (laughs) cut off your head. Now, here's a bumper sticker I can get behind as a rule following centrist. (laughs) Cut off your head. What a bumper sticker. It was given to him by a friend who was an art student. It had no meaning. The art student was being Dadaist or something. This was around the mid to late 80s. He put it in his he put it on his Fiero. Okay, wait. What the fuck? Dude. You're telling me in the mid to late 80s there was a guy, namely Gina's husband, driving around in a Fiero with a bumper sticker that said cut off your head. Holy shit, that's tough. I got to see a photo of that. If there's a photo of that, I got to see it. That's the image I'm generating right now in my mind, I wish I could share it with y'all. It is so tough. So she continues. One time someone at a stoplight just started yelling at John, really angry about it. They were yelling, why do you have that? And he said, I don't understand. What does it mean? Wait a minute. Who said that? I think John said John? that. Okay. <laughs> he said, oh, I don't I understand. Can... <laughs> okay. So the person who pulls up at the stoplight and is yelling at him, like, why do you have that bumper sticker? John, the guy driving his Fiero, probably blasting Hall & Oates, because I think Hall & Oates were the official spokesman for Fiero. I think when I subscribed to Car and Driver magazine in the 80s, Hall & Oates did a promo campaign for Fiero. But that's not true. I think it is. Um, 
Because this guy was so angry about the cut off your head bumper sticker, John assumed this person knew what it actually meant, whatever the dark secret message was. Okay, yeah. So John's probably with relief saying, oh, thank God you're yelling at me. Maybe you can explain, like, I don't understand what does my bumper sticker mean? (laughs) (laughs) So then she said it just didn't make any sense to him that someone would get so angry at it. He found it bizarre. It kind of makes sense because saying cut off your head is pretty aggro. I, I don't know if it's it's just it's an, an impossible thing to do. To cut off your own head? Uh, yeah. Gina, if you have a photo of your husband, John, in his Fiero with the cut off your head bumper sticker, we would love to see it. John, let's do another bumper sticker diary. Another entry in the bumper sticker diaries. Okay. Uh, someone named Keenan wrote in. They say, I'm so sorry to do this. I promised myself I would never write in unless there was something absolutely crucial, but we're at an anthropological crossroad and I don't know if I can let this go overlooked. In Election Profit Makers episode number 243, Iowa Caucus Recap, you discuss the inexplicable dearth of bumper stickers at around the 30 minute mark. After spending my entire adult life in Chicago only to move to southern Indiana, Hmm. I was blindsided by three distinct cultural deviations. Number one, people smoke a lot more here. Number two, a lot of the food, and especially the food that shouldn't be, is sweet, even the sushi. And number three, bumper stickers are perhaps the main avenue for expressing one's identity. I was shocked. Having almost completely forgotten about the existence of bumper stickers in Chicago, I was not expecting the sheer number of pithy, trite, and truly antagonistic opinions plastered upon people's vehicles. I would estimate there are more bumper stickers per capita than bullets. Well, now that is an obvious exaggeration for comic effect. That can't be true. Also, it appears to be consistent across all socioeconomic classes and political ideologies. While it's easy to roll your eyes at the Let's Go Brandon bumper stickers and the Trump 24 bumper stickers and the Trump is still my president bumper stickers and the don't tread on me or Trump or my guns or the Constitution bumper stickers, it is also not uncommon to spot a love is love bumper sticker or a coexist bumper sticker or a kids up in this bitch bumper sticker. What does that mean? Like baby on board? They included a shot of kids up in this bitch. Okay. And I think it's just someone trying to be sassy. Bumper stickers are so plentiful, and it stands in such contrast to my living in the big city that I thought it was notable to correct your oversight. That I thought it was notable to correct your oversight. Hmm. I thought it was no... Would you like me to continue? No, I got it. I can rally. I can rally. Also... It's not just bumper stickers either. It's actually also also. Yeah, I'm 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 I can edit on the fly, can't I? I think you need to read it in their words. Wow, really? I have to do the tweed double also. Yeah. All right, Keenan. This is this is your lucky day. Also, also, Keenan continues with great enthusiasm. It's not just bumper stickers either. Vinyl graphics plastered to windows are also. Oh my, Keenan is addicted to A L S O. Vinyl graphics plastered to windows also play a role in the identity politics here. There's no shortage of opinion shouting on the highway. What I assumed was a forgotten art is alive and kicking. You just need to know where to look. Okay. So Keenan says that, uh, that, that our laments about the death of bumper stickers might be a product of um, our um, coastal fancy pants lo- locations. Me in my Los Angeles, John, and you in your Carborough. Paris of the Piedmont. But actually, hold on. 
Car- Carborough must have bumper stickers coming out the wazoo. I don't know. I mean, when Kanan brings up the coexist, you, you can't tell me yeah, you're not seeing coexist. 50 coexist bumper stickers a day in Carborough, North Carolina. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably. And uh, like um, in, in this car, we believe love is love, black lives matter, yada, 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 all that stuff. I mean, because Carborough has right. Carborough has I'm yard from North signs. Carolina and yeah. I don't support Jesse right. Holmes. Really faded. Well, that was the classic bumper sticker of the 80s. Yeah. Along with, if God is not a Tar Heel, why is the sky Carolina blue? Checkmate, atheists. Yeah. I would say that we are going to close the bumper sticker diaries. Thank you to everyone who submitted, but there was n- none of these stories, none of these reminiscences about bumper stickers achieved the level of pathos and interpersonal violence that I was that I was luridly anticipating. Hmm. Should we mention several people? Uh, posted either on Twitter or on the Discord that they saw bumper stickers that said, I love aging and dying. That's up there with cut off your head. We think maybe it was like somebody that just works with like end of life care. A hospice worker? Maybe something like that. It's not that. It's somebody being funny and clever. It's not a I hosp- love aging a ho- <laughs> and dying. A normal hospice worker who shepherds people through the final stage of life is not going to have a bumper sticker that says, I love aging and dying. No, they would. And it would have a skull and cross. Yeah, right. Exactly. And, and it'd be a little no, it would... blunt <laughs> skull smoking a little marijuana joint or something. No, that's somebody being, that's somebody having fun. It's like cut off your head. Okay. Well, somebody posted it in Minneapolis and then another person posted it from Chapel Hill. So maybe you're right that it's some counterculture thing. It's some ca- – John, exactly. It's some counterculture thing. Okay. All right. All right. And all right. we don't discuss the counterculture. We discuss the real culture. Classical music, World War II biographies with plenty of footnotes and upscale office supplies. We're not trying to be all funky with bumper stickers. Okay? Okay. If you have fridge, if you have those refrigerator poetry magnets on your fridge, remember those things? Yeah, and I walk into your house and I see that I'm turning on my heel and walking right back out. It's like I don't have time to hang out with beatniks, countercultural types, people who think you can write a poem on a refrigerator using a bunch of random magnets. What are you talking about? You know, a lot of refrigerators don't have because they're stainless steel. You have to put the magnets on the side. It sort of ruined that. It's not as fun anymore. I'm telling you, man. So that's a bit the next thing we talk about. Refrigerator magnets. Fuck bumper stickers. Who gives a shit about bumper stickers? Their abundance or their dearth. Let's talk about refrigerator magnets. Who's rocking with refrigerator magnets these days? Who has some fucking Tesla Cybertruck stainless steel refrigerator and you get it home and you're like, this refrigerator is so big. I'm going to put so many fucking fun magnets on this. Right. And then they don't even stick to the refrigerator. Nope. Got to put them on the side. No one can see them. All my satchels you know, magnets. Nobody can even see them. Satchel sends so much crap to me. Stop sending crap to John, Satchel. No, it's fine. It's fine. That guy's fucking single-handedly keeping the bumper sticker industry alive. Yeah, he is. John, last week we had someone who wrote in with a memory about a dorm, living in a dorm on NC State's campus during Hurricane Fran, and you were beside yourself with excitement. And I'm delighted to tell you that we got another letter. On the same topic. He writes back regarding no, this is the different North guy. Carolina State. Isn't it? Wait a minute. This is a, this di- is a, this is a different student. Oh, wow. Yeah, man. I'm telling you, Christmas came early for you this year. 
Wow. Okay, great. Okay, well, this makes me feel better because, yeah, one of the things he mentioned in here, I was thinking it was the same resonance hall and that I'd screwed up nope. how many floors nope, it was. Nope, I'm telling you. Okay, Eric, another NC State guy. Man, go Wolfpack, I guess. Um, he writes in regarding the NC State Hurricane Fran story. Long time listener, he says, I was on floor 12, the top floor in the Sullivan residence hall for this. It was crazy quiet when the eye passed over and the wind shifted from against our windows to against our balcony. With all the lights out below, it was extremely sublime letting the clean air, no debris on the 12th floor, hit my face. Unforgettable moment of life. Very cool. How jealous are you, John, of Eric? I am extremely jealous because, see, I couldn't do that. I was, you know... It's, you know, Chapel Hill is total jungle. If I were to stick my head out, I'd got smacked in the head with a branch or something. Eric encountered the sublime on the 12th floor of Sullivan Residence Hall as the eye of Hurricane Fran passed uh, over him. Probably 80 miles per hour. Mm. Speaking of nature, John, Victoria wrote in to say, I'm writing now to thank you for reading that James Wright poem, A Blessing. Oh, this is this this kicked off our Skyline Poetry Review. Because it was about Rochester, Minnesota. Is that how this all started? I can't remember sometimes right. What, right. What, what we're doing here on our wonderful podcast. Okay. Yeah. Victoria says, you reading that poem prompted me to dig out my old anthology of poetry and to read poems late into the night. After I finished my English degree a decade ago, I hid that book away and vowed to never look at it again. It was truly a joy to be prompted to read poetry once more and discover some hidden gems. I totally get you guys are not doing some kind of BBC Radio 4 poetry hour or whatever, so it's not really for the show, but these two poems below reminded me a little of The Blessing in terms of nature imagery, although with a considerably darker tone, and I thought you might enjoy them yourself. Well, Victoria, we are turning into some kind of BBC Radio 4 poetry hour. That is our years-long mission, and we are a hair's breadth away from achieving it. The grand switcheroo from being a podcast about betting on political outcomes and current events to becoming a podcast about skyline representation and poetry. So you have submitted two poems for our review. The first one is called Spring by Edna St. Vincent Millay, who went to Vassar College in Poughkeepsie, if I'm not mistaken, John. And then the second poem is Evening Hawk by Robert Penn Warren. John, I'm going to read you this Edna St. Vincent Millay. Do you know anything about Edna St. Vincent Millay? No. No. She was a real she was a real uh a real interesting person. She's the one who burned the candle at both ends. Remember we've talked about that before. Oh, she went yeah. hard. Yeah. She went listen to close your eyes, John, and listen to this poem. This is a poem called Spring by Edna St. Vincent Millay. This is from 1921. This poem has so much attitude. <laughs> Here we go. Spring by Edna St. Vincent Millay. To what purpose, April, do you return again? Beauty's not enough. You can no longer quiet me with the redness of little leaves opening stickily. I know what I know. The sun is hot on my neck as I observe the spikes of the crocus. The smell of the earth is good. It's apparent that there is no death, but what does that signify? Not only underground are the brains of men eaten by magnets, Life in itself is nothing, an empty cup, a flight of uncarpeted stairs. It is not enough that yearly down this hill, 
April comes like an idiot babbling and strewing flowers. Have you ever heard someone diss spring as hard as that? Like, what is your problem? Spring is so nice, Edna. Yeah. I mean, the leaves, the little leaves when they're coming on, that's that's the highlight of spring. Nope. You can no longer quiet me with the redness of those little leaves opening stickily. Because that's when you can walk in the forest and you can see all the green, but you can also still see really far. Yeah, and St. Vincent Malay doesn't have time for that shit. Clearly. It's not enough that yearly down this hill, April comes like an idiot babbling and strewing flowers. Come on. Seriously. You were living in Poughkeepsie and you're going to turn up your nose at spring. I know you were in love. I would love to read you write about I would love to read Edna St. Vincent Millay write about winter in Poughkeepsie. I love yeah. freezing my toes off. I love all the gray sludge everywhere. Hooray. I love being at Vassar College. Look at me burning the candle with both ends because I'm so fucking cold. I need double candle power. And then she's going to turn around and diss spring. <laughs> Please. She's going on. She's going on my shit list. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Edna St. Vincent Millay. Oh my gosh. What what are you doing? You're going to be the death of me. Poughkeepsie. I've never been. Poughkeepsie, New York. North of Beacon, New York. Home of Vassar College. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right, John. I'm tired of our discourse. Please read the credits. <laughs> Election Profit Makers is an independent production. We welcome your support on Patreon at patreon.com slash electionprofitmakers. And if you sign up for Patreon, you'll receive some wonderful EPM stickers in the mail. You'll also get an invite code to our private Discord. Please send your election prediction questions, skyline requests, and bird recordings to contact at electionprofitmakers.com. And if you want to advertise with us, email contact at electionprofitmakers.com. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.